Hello and welcome back to Cooking the Books with me, Jilly Smith, the podcast which takes us through four food moments from the books of our favourite food writers. It's about all of life through the prism of food. And this week I'm with Turkish food writer and chef, Özlem Warren. I always felt rather than thinking about differences, it is our common heritage. How lovely. I perhaps put uh, mint in mine and you put uh, perhaps cumin in yours. Lovely. Rather than saying, oh, you know, we're different. No, it's our common heritage. It's our job, really, to preserve and pass it to the next generations. Özlem found fame as a blogger after moving to the UK in 2009 and her supper clubs, Mize Nights, and her book, Özlem's Turkish Table, have made her the name in Turkish food. But when her hometown of Antakya was devastated by the recent earthquake, she's raised thousands for the relief effort with the help of food influencers like Melissa Thompson, Easter Belfrage and Clark and Wellboy. We first met at a fundraising cooking the book supper club at mine just a few days before she was due to go back to Turkey. I caught up with her after a massively emotional journey, not least because of the death of her mother. First of all, merhaba, dear Jilly. It's so lovely to talk to you and thank you very much for having me. Uh, yes, indeed, a very emotional, poignant, yet still full of love kind of journey. That's how it is at home. Always so much love and support. Um, and it was good to be back. Really good to be back. You were in Istanbul. You weren't in the, the main areas which have been absolutely des- devastated, including the village where your grandparents lived and, and where you grew up. I mean, did you go to Antakya? Um, Antakya, fingers crossed, uh, I'm going back in June. Um, it's because, unfortunately, the city is not ready, really, to welcome people. Uh, rather than being a helpful hand, it will be much of a distraction. So... I I was there because we have lots of displaced family in Istanbul, in Ankara. So I was there sending parcels, giving calls, giving a bit of a supporting hand really that way. As you say, um, it is my hometown, Antakya, massively destroyed. But we are hopeful in the sense that there is an incredible support group and solidarity Um, And it was just wonderful to give a little bit of helping hand while I was there. And there has been a massive response from the international community, Mm. from the UK, from your followers. We had a wonderful supper club. Oh, it was so special. You've done all sorts of things to raise money for for the relief fund. There's been this outpouring of support. I mean, it feels so connected to Turkey and Turkish food and Syria and Syrian culture. How does that go down in Turkey? Do people feel the support? They do. And they are overwhelmed with it, to be honest. I mean, it's... major area. It's over 14 million of folks affected in one word and another in south, southern east part of Turkey. And they are incredibly grateful. I mean, just alone, the sale of my signed copy of my cookery book, Özlem's Turkish Table rate raised over 8.5 thousand K, directly went to the foundation, Turkey Foundation. Um, and they are very grateful uh, because the region desperately needs that. They need tents, they need basic food. Um, and seeing that support, especially Turks who live abroad, I think, feel that enormously because we can't be there physically so that's our way of way of being able to a little at least or more um 
to give support. As you say, it's my roots, it's my home, yeah. and it, it meant a lot to be able to do that. Well, I would love everybody listening to this podcast today to donate £10. I mean, imagine how much that would raise. We did it through DEC. You can just Google it. Just donate whatever you can. I I think it's really important for people to think beyond the the debris, the grey, the the horrors, the, the, you know, the, the, the awful stories that come out of these total disasters and to remember and to taste and smell the flavors of the living countries that are so devastated. We did the same with Ukraine. I've done one with Syria. I'm going to do another one with Syria soon. Um, But, you know, when you came to talk to uh, us at the supper club and to feed us your food, and we told the stories of Antakya, formerly Antioch. So let's revisit that for people who weren't able to come to the supper club. Antakya is your hometown. Uh, It was devastated by the earthquake. It's in southern Turkey, but it has an ancient history. Tell us about ancient Antioch, the capital of the Roman province of Syria. Oh, it's, it's, you know, it is, as you say, this is even more important now because, as you say, the buildings, I mean, Antakya had, ancient Antioch had earthquakes, seven big earthquakes throughout thousands of years of history. And each time, it rebuilt itself. Uh, so that's the heritage. That's that special uh, land and uh, the history that needs to be preserved. That's that's what it is, really. As you say, Antakya, ancient Antioch, was the um, the fair crown of the Orient. You know, back in the day, you know, for. 4 BC, you know, we're talking about 4 BC. Yeah. It was the, um, it, it was an important part of the Silk Road where all those spices and the silk and the copper and whatnot passed through, through the Levant, was a part of that Levantine culture. Um, it is an important place um, in terms of religious significance too, because the um, early Christians came to ancient Antioch, built St. Peter's Church, carved inside the Habib Nejam mountain, um, St. Peter's Church, which became the pilgrimage for Christians to come uh, all around the world. Um, so the very first of Jerusalem was built in ancient Antioch. It is the land of diversity, you know, where the Muslim and the Christian and Jewish community still live today hand in hand you hear muslim calling for a prayer the same time uh church bells ringing you know i i grew up with this that's why it is such a significant such an important land as you say the romans the hittites the byzantines the ottomans um they all passed through they all left their mark the city breathes that and that is one of the most important things about this area, the Middle East, oh, um, the East Med, is that there were nomadic tribes, there were soldiers, there were all sorts of people, there were traders all passing through, stopping, bring, tasting these delicious dishes and then taking them on to the next place. So you do have a wonderful sort of melting pot. Oh, of these hugely. Incredible flavours. Hugely. I mean, let's give that as an example, your first food moment, the Antakya flatbreads oh. with feta, zatar, pepper paste, biberli ekmek. Is that how you pronounce it? Biberli ekmek. <laughs> Beautiful pronunciation. Oh, honestly, even the word of it makes me emotional. It is itself um, a piece of history. 
Those flatbreads, the Turks were nomads. They were making flatbreads since they lived in Central Asia and brought with them those traditions. And, and Turkey is a vast country and each region has its own delicacies, has its own traditions. Southern Turkish food um, drives a, a, the traditions of using the bakeries, as we call fırın, as their community oven. For hundreds and hundreds of years, bakers not only bake your daily bread, but they bake folks flatbreads, uh, dolmas, casseroles. In that way, actually, it's a very sustainable kitchen. You know, rather than people turning their ovens on in their home, they take it to the bakery. Yeah. So traditionally, it's an incredibly sustainable way of living when you see it. But it has such emotional significance. I mean, my grandmother had this beautiful 450-year-old stone home in ancient Antioch, great big courtyard, um, pomegranate trees, mulberry, walnut trees. Um, under the shades of those beautiful trees, there was a beautiful marble table in the middle where all the action oh, would take place. Okay. Grandma would gather all her spices, Grandpa, being the food merchant, brings the best of all the fresh produce and whatnot. So she would say, today we're making biberlek, make özlem. So here is the filling mom and grandma would prepare. We grandchildren had the job of taking the filling at the cobbled uh, streets of ancient Antioch to Long Market, oh. to Uzun Çarşı. So here is the bakery, Yulmaz Furun say. So he says, oh, hoş geldiniz, welcome Özlem. Ah, I see you're making uh, biberli ekmek. Here's my bread for you. I will make it for you. I will put it to topping filling for you. You wait there and I know you'll be hungry. I'll make you a little extra one <laughs> so you could taste it as you get along. So we happily wait for the all the wafting smells of uh, beautiful aromas of flatbread being made. And then we would take it back to home while eating a little bit and you know, in between saying hello to this neighbor yeah. and that neighbor. It's that heart of the community, really. Um, I love that picture of, you know, you and your cousins kind of just running down the cobble streets and everybody knowing you. Can you imagine? It's... Everyone's known you. You buy the cheese from Mustafa uh, uncle. You buy, you know, you buy whatever the grains from Shakir, my, my uncle, a very prominent food merchant again. And Open door policy, you know, my grandmother's door, an ancient door, blimey, you know, open every yeah. day. <laughs> People always turn up and usually around mealtime. Grandma anyway knows that and she will put extra plates on a table because she knows so-and-so, they will bound to be someone turning up. Said, oh, come on over. We're having lunch. Let's enjoy this biber lake make together. You know, it's how we grow up. And that is what we're talking about that has been devastated by the earthquake. Yes, it's, yeah. so you know, the housing yeah. that was built yeah. badly. But it's actually, yeah. that's what the heart of the community is. Now, you haven't been able to get through to the old town in Antakya to see whether that 450-year-old beautiful stone house of your grandparents is still standing. Have you any idea when you'll be able to get there? You know, we have some report that there are some damages, unfortunately, but there are, I think there are bits intact because we, we donated to to become an art and museum, mm. art and crafts museum, so everyone could enjoy it. Um, so I have some wonderful friends passionate about restoring. As a matter of fact, I'll go and visit them in June. Um, so fingers crossed we will we will 
will get back to its perhaps not as much of the formal glory, but at least whatever bit we could preserve. Yeah. Um, is uh, the, the fact that, you know, it rebuilt itself seven times again. Mm. I really want to hang on to that hope. Of course, of course. And what about the bakeries? You know, will that culture die? Because it's the new, t- it's the new town, isn't it, that was devastated, really? It's yeah. those high-rise blocks that were built so badly. Um, but what about the bakeries? You know, there are some parts um, damaged, but there are some parts intact. But then comes the effect of community. There is really strong sense of community. Unfortunately, some Antakya folks had to leave because of their houses got destroyed. But there are folks who refuse to leave. And there are friends like I have, Merichifli, Merich Farm, who they have their olive growth in the mountains. So they have that lovely part so they could be able to feed the town in and they are passionate about restoring. So there are people like that. And also, as you say, as I try to say, that there's the mosaic of community with the Christian community, the, yeah. the Jews. And so they're all hand in hand, really adamant yeah. getting the help from UNESCO and, you know, international, yeah. you know, preserving foundations yeah. uh, saying that, look, this is history. It's a UNESCO, you know, UNESCO accredited city of world gastronomy Antakya. So there are special foundations like that, yeah. that I'm really hopeful that we will preserve whatever we can. Absolutely. Yes. And I think that UNESCO um, places a great deal of value on intangible memories and food is d- d- comes a under big that part criteria. Of it. Take us back into that courtyard of your grandparents again, though, for your second food moment, the Dolma making on oh. that marble table. <laughs> so special, honestly, it's... Um, it's, it is more than dolma, you know, and I, and I feel most of the folks listening to in the Levant culture will relate to that. My Greek friends would do a similar thing. My friends in Jordan would do a similar thing. It is an act of support, act of togetherness, you know. Um, even my father uh, would get involved in those days when they were courting with mom. You know, she would, he would help preparing the leaves or the... Or, or the vegetables, and some would prepare the filling, some would make constant chai and coffee, uh, because you need to, <laughs> it's a social event, you get together, and you make dolma together, some would stuff, and then, of course, it would usually go to the bakery to bake, so baker is involved in that act too, and um, and it is so significant for us. It tastes heavenly, of course. It's your memories uh, more than a- anything. But that love goes to that doll. It's a mm. labor of love. Um, but the memories is, you know, so special. Yeah, but again, they are lasting. I mean, this is food that, you know, remember that Antioch, Antakya, uh, is a, comes from a, f- a fusion of Greek and Roman and Persian food over the centuries. It's been... And Syrian, of course, being... And, by the uh, Aleppo, oh, you know, hugely. Of course. Of course, yeah. and, and you know this is centuries old, and Dolmades is p- part of that culture, yeah, for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. Oh, hugely so, heritage, really massive heritage. My yeah. grandfather Supi, as well as Uncle Shakir, they were food merchants, so they would trade spices as well as fresh food with Aleppo. So all the really the most 
beautiful fragrant spices would come to to our home cases of fakes cases of aubergines and of course you know being that silk road and part of that levant culture you have so many similarities use of pomegranate molasses pepper paste pulby bear aleppo pepper a massive part of uh, the cuisine kunefe kataifi um so you see um you see an element of that um in all through aleppo levant jordan uh, cyprus greece um and it's lovely you know and we always i always felt rather than thinking about differences it is our common heritage how lovely I perhaps put a uh, mint in mine and you put uh, perhaps cumin in yours. Lovely. Rather than yeah. saying, oh, yeah. you know, we're different. No, it's our common heritage yeah. and it's it's our job really to preserve and pass it to the next generations. Well, it is. And what it is, it seems to me it's much more of a celebration than a lot of different cuisines which hold on very emotionally to uh, the actual recipes that were passed down from their mothers or their grandmothers, you know, because particularly diasporic communities, you know, they're holding on to their recipes very tightly because they need to know, have some kind of grounding. Turkish food is a little bit freer. It's a little bit more. (laughs) And maybe that is because it is more grounded that you haven't had a big diasporic community. Having said that, you left a long time ago. Um, tell us a little bit about the story of you leaving with your third food moment, where, which is all about you being called little aubergine by your husband. Little aubergine. <laughs> oh boy, yes, I did. Uh, um, well, um, I, I studied for my further master's degree in Scotland, uh, Stirling University. I love Scotland. Um, and I happened to meet my... Um, uh, now husband and uh, Angus, a uh, very Scottish name, but he was born in Beaumont, Texas, but he's actually from Wiltshire. So we are a right, right mixture <laughs> in that sense. And, um, and uh, yeah, we had a six year um, courtship because after my studies, I had to return to Istanbul and he was in Aberdeen working for a corporation, but we always um, traveled back and forth. My mom and dad adored him, absolutely. But um, yes, food was a focal part. And as a matter of fact, uh, my first meal involved uh, making carnieric stuffed aubergine, which a lengthy phone call to, to Turkey. Being a student in 1996, Five, I think the year was pre-internet, pre-everything. So I am trying to get the aubergine stuffed aubergine carnieric recipe right. Calling mum in Istanbul, and Angus listens to what I'm talking about, fascinated with this patlıcan talk here and there. And he said, "Özlem, what is this patlıcan you're talking about so passionately?" And I said, "Well, that's the." aubergine you call it um, and if I can get it right stuffed aubergine that's your dinner tonight and he said it sounds so lovely and I think I'll call you patlıcan from now on my name is Pat- <laughs> was patlıcan since then or patlı is short very cute I'm very fond of it perhaps not that cute when you go home and people think you are named Patlija. And your final food moment actually continues the theme of Angus, your Turkish coffee ritual. The bride-to-be has to serve the the coffee in a specific way. Tell us about that and how nerve-wracking it was. Oh, 
bless him, bless him. You know, it's Mike. I come from a traditional family, a lovely father and mom, generous in heart. And, you know, for a traditional family to accept Angus, um, yet alone except and staying with them, of course, different rooms. But um, one of his last visits was um, mom, clearly remember mom was making her gözlemez and, you know, pastries for breakfast. Dad in his dressing gown doing his fresh oranges because Angus loved fresh portakal suyu oranges. Mom has curlers in her hair. Uh, Angus turned up around 8 a.m. in the morning, sharp dressed, you know, shaved. And his luggage is by the door because he is departing for Aberdeen after breakfast. And he said, Özlem, may I have a word with your mum and dad, please? And I think at that moment, mum finally thought, finally, after <laughs> six years, perhaps, perhaps that's our moment. So they are summoned to the lounge salon and... Um, because um, traditionally uh, in Turkey, uh, the, oh, the groom to be what do you call it? Groom to be asked the permission of the father. So I think he wanted to do the thing in the right way. Bless him. So he asked my father's permission, but it's because my mom and dad speaks little English, not much. So I had to translate all these beautiful, lovely words of endearment and love to dad. <laughs> dad being a lawyer, very reserved, very oh. cool. Of course, he had tears in his eyes. Said, "Of course, Angus Jim, you're our son. It's our pleasure." Mom crying, falling <laughs> in her hand, calling all around the world, announcing our engagement. Literally within half an hour, all the extended family in the house, aunties and uncles, to celebrate. The table has been set, and Mom said, "Özlem, the tradition demands you need to make a nice froti." Bol köpüklü Türk kahvesi, Turkish coffee for Angus. That's your test. That's you have to do that, Özlem. Okay. So 8 a.m. Here I am making the Turkish coffee. Poor Angus. He never drinks coffee before 11 a.m. Let alone Turkish. Poor Angus had to drink it. He couldn't sleep for two days apparently, but he got the permission. And he, he had got the bride. He got the permission. <laughs> But that it is, you know, all these these rituals are so important for us. And it was so lovely of him to respect that. And uh, very happy, very happy moments. You know, we still, I mean, mom, as you, me, mom recently passed away. And Turkish coffee is always a special moment for us whenever I make it. I remember it because it really is more than the food, the drinks, the the memories it brings to us. That special connection that brings to us is so special. And I'm very grateful, you know, I am very grateful to be a part of this loving, loving culture. To donate anything to the Disasters and Emergency Committee, go to dec.org.uk slash turkey hyphen Syria earthquake appeal or just Google DEC Turkey. Thanks for listening. Do follow me on Instagram. I'm at Julie Smith and on Substack where you'll find a little extra bites from Özlem from our supper club the other week. Just search for Julie Smith on Substack and I'll see you next week.